Hey guys, Montel here, and thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Free Thinking with Montel. You know, the holidays are getting close, and you know, everybody's trying to wind down a little bit that way, but at the same time, you know, there's so much angst in our nation today. You know, angst from political uh, points of view, angst from, you know, social economic points of view, angst from, yeah, just angst everywhere. And when there's so much angst in our forethought, we forget about the things that are most important to us. And one of the things I think that a lot of us forget about is the sacrifice so many have made to protect and defend the freedoms that we have. And I'm talking about our veterans. You know, I still hear it all the time when I go to airports, I walk around, you know, I'll see a veteran walk by and I'll hear somebody say out of the side of their mouth, oh, thank you for your service. And they just turn around and keep walking as if, you know, that statement is enough to appease them, maybe not the veteran, but appease them that they have done something to acknowledge, you know, those who have done so much for us. But I really think it's time that we stop and make a pause and remember that, you know, I'm so sorry to say this, and I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer or Mr. Bummer, but, you know, we still have a significant veteran suicide rate in this country on a daily basis. We have a significant veteran addiction rate in this country on a daily basis. We have veterans and veteran families that are suffering. There are so many that are thriving. Let me like this is straight. You know, I mean, I just, yes, in fact, we have so many of them. You know, some estimates are 89 and 90% of our veterans really have no problems whatsoever. But that doesn't help us ignore or that shouldn't let us ignore the 10% that do have problems. And there are those that are out there every single day in the trenches fighting and digging deep, trying to do as much as they can, not just say thank you for your service, but showing it every single day by doing things and putting forth initiatives that can help a veteran be resilient and be strong and, you know, recapture their dignity and recapture their lives. And my guest today, you know, is a person who has literally, you know, um, been doing this on a daily basis. My guest today served in the United States Marine Corps for more than 27 years. He retired out of Quantico, Virginia in 2014 as a regimental sergeant major for the Wounded Warrior Regiment, where he oversaw the coordination of non-medical care to combat and non-combat wounded, ill, and injured Marines. His awards and decorations include everything from the Purple Heart to Meritorious Service Medal to Navy uh, and Marine Corps Commendation Medals to Navy and Marine Corps Achievement Medal to Combat Action Ribbon to the Marine Corps Good Conduct Medal, to the Humanitarian Service Medal, and also the National Defense Service Medal, and many, many more. He's now the Executive Director of the Disabled Veterans National Foundation, the DVNF. Mr. Joseph Banfonda, thank you so much, sir, for being a part of Free Thinking with Montel today. Thank you for being here, sir, and thank you for your service. Montel, thank you for having uh, myself here at your podcast. We're here very excited to be here. And, um, you know, um, um, I'm just excited to have this opportunity to talk about the Disabled Veterans National Foundation and how we provide our services and care uh, throughout the United States. Well, look, I mean, that's what you're here for is to talk about that, the DVNF, the National, I mean, the Disabled Veterans National Foundation. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit more about your background. May, what made you decide 
you know, we're about the same age. And, you know, uh, we came up in the service about the time, I think I'm a little older than you, but we came into the service at a time when, you know, our service wasn't respected. Um, we, you know, we're coming right out of Vietnam. When did you enlist? I enlisted in the um, delayed entry program at the end of 1986. Um, okay. You know, my, my story is, is um, pretty much in the trenches of society. You know, my grandmother had um, 22 children. My mother was number 21 of those 22 children, which she was married uh, very young and she divorced when I was seven with a fifth grade education. And, um, you know, I grew up on welfare, um, very poor. You know, my brothers and sisters never graduated high school. I stayed within high school, graduated high school, joined the Marine Corps because I wanted to be out of that run of society. And, um, and what gave me the drive to do that was an older gentleman lived on our block that was a Vietnam veteran. And I kind of like followed him a little bit and he gave me a little bit of direction in my life. And that helped me um, to become what I am today. You know, it's crazy. You said Vietnam, you know, I'm a Vietnam era vet. I came in in 1974 in the delayed entry program. Also, I enlisted in late, I think it was late, like 73. And then as soon as I graduated from high school the following year, you know, I went off to boot camp. Um, and, uh, but back then and the Vietnam era vets, you know, there wasn't the same respect for veterans that there is today. As a matter of fact, you know, I can remember when I walked out of boot camp out of Paris Island in 74, uh, stopping in a restaurant. I was trying to, my parents came down and aunt and uncle came down to drive me up to Baltimore before I went off to my first duty station. And I had a couple of days leave. So I was going to take that leave and spend it with my family. I remember stopping in, uh, in Northern Virginia at a restaurant and literally the guy walked out of a restaurant as we were walking in and spit on the ground before me, you know, and uh, I was still in my uniform and I, I was so angry. I wanted to punch him right inside his head, but I didn't, of course. And, you know, I mean, I can remember, you know, going back home and people, you know, uh, when I had my, my uniform on riding in the car, people yelling baby killer and all this kind of craziness. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to have a Vietnam era vet inspire you, I'm just trying to figure out what was in you, Joe, that, that said, you know what, I think I'm going to serve. Well, <clears throat> it's kind of odd on how I was raised. Um, I mean, I, I was raised with no father, unfortunately. Uh, you know, my mother with a fifth grade education struggling uh, to make ends meet and relying on that uh, welfare check. I remember her waiting on the porch the first of each month for that welfare check. And that opened my eyes. And I was like, I, I can't, I, I don't want this anymore. I want something more than just what social services can have to offer. Not that my mother didn't try or anything. So I started looking at um, my friends. I, I, I hung around with individuals that had family structure. Um, I, I, I listened to individuals that, that, uh, that, that had a family. And one of the Vietnam veterans named Morris, Morris Williams, gave me a little bit of intent and always told me, hey, stay off the streets. You know, and, 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 and I kind of like listen to that a little bit, but, but knowing how I grew up, knowing that the struggles that were there, um, I relied on school. You know, most, most kids, you know, that, that had, you know, would walk on the, on the stage at the end of the year to get their reward award, whether it be math, science or whatever. I always had the perfect attendance. <laughs> I had the perfect attendance since I was fourth, since fourth grade <laughs> all the way up to a senior. Seniors were better, better than me, my friend. Exactly. Senior skip here, everyone's skipping, and I'm in class by myself. Because that the school provided me structure, and I needed that because I wasn't getting it at home, unfortunately. You know, and, and it was just, it was not a good upbringing, unfortunately. Not to take discredit my mother or what cards were dealt with her, or, or, or but, you know, you can't, you, you can't choose who you're born to. So I tried to make the best of it, and I used my environment, the village, in somewhat to help me and, and bring all those 
positive attributes that they had to offer. And I built my resiliency upon that. So, you know, I was working three jobs as a senior. And one day I, I walked into the Marine Corps office. And I said, I want to be a Marine. And uh, the next step, the guy, the guy says, okay, you're going to be direct ship. Went down to Mets, took the test. Following day, I'm getting my physical. Third day, I'm on a plane to South Carolina. You know, so, and that just changed the course of my life. Um, and, and what helped me uh, um, within the military, believe it or not, was the different ethnic backgrounds and individuals from all over the United States that joined the Marine Corps, one big melting pot. And that just made me a better individual and helped build upon my resiliency. Uh, you know, joining the Marine Corps as a private and retiring as a sergeant major, my background of, you know, growing up in the Rudder Society, I thought that was a pretty good achievement. And, um, and being a wounded warrior, understanding the carnage and what happens on a battlefield. Uh, I, I last few years of my Marine Corps career, well, I was just traveling the United States, visiting all our polytrauma hospitals and, and looking at our wounded warriors and seeing the carnage what's, what, that was left in the hospital. And that was probably harder than being on a battlefield, believe it or not. Uh, these young individuals, young children, young wives, you know, broken families and providing the resources for them and not only the non-medical case management for those wounded warriors. Uh, so I've learned a lot and, I, and then the, and, you know, my heart is heavy with that. And I think that prepared me for working in the veteran community. And uh, I'm just I'm just tickled pink to have a relationship with you and your organization and track and follow what you do in the veteran community as well, because that's aspiring as well. You know, you, you, you talk and hang around with individuals that care, you know, that makes you even a better individual. So I appreciate your time as well. No, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit. I, I'm not just trying to make you relive this, but I think I want you to share this with our, our viewers. You were actually injured uh, in combat and then went on and stayed on active duty. Let's talk about what happened. How were you injured? What, what, what was going on? Give, give me that, that story. Well, I was an infantry first sergeant with the Warriors, 2-2 Warriors, um, and we had orders to hold down a bridge south of Baghdad, probably about 28 miles south in the Babel province. Well, I remember the battalion commander came in and says, hey, Sar hey, hey first sergeant, you know, uh, where's your company commander? Of course, he was at the chow hall because we had patrols that evening. Well, go get your commanding officer. So he told the commanding officer to take half the company and go hold this one bridge that was hit by a mortar round. And it was it looked like somebody took a big bite out of it and hold that bridge until um, combat engineers get there and so forth and provide security. So he did that. So about four hours into that, he was met with ambush. And um, we were taking heavy uh, fire as well as uh, uh, suppressive mortar rounds on the grove, probably about 500 meters in front of the bridge. So we called back for support. Commanding officer came in, first sergeant, take the rest of your company. Um, and uh, I want you to get to that bridge. I want you to hold that bridge, um, whatever it takes. So I went to the ASP. It, it, you know How it works usually is the, the company commander goes forward with the company gunny. I stay back with the XO. That way you have command and control on both ends and um, hit the XO up with that. And uh, we hit, we ready the ASP with, with all the mortar rounds, uh, claymores, ammunition, so forth to reinforce and, and help suppress the enemy. So, of course, you know, we're, we're probably gone within 35 minutes hitting the road. Uh, so by the time we get to the bridge, there was no activity happening. And um, my company gunny comes running up to the MTVR. I was the lead vehicle. He goes, hey, first start. I says, um, what's going on? He goes, well, we, um, you know, we were taking mortifier and, and suppression through the grove. It seemed to calm down. As soon as I got there, 
Um, we all floated the MTVR around the big bite out of the bridge. And I was on, I went to the top of the bridge where the commanding officer was, and um, he was calling for air support at the time. And that's when we started taking mortar rounds. So, um, so as, as I'm on the bridge, first mortar round hit our, our attack vehicle, uh, wounded our company commander in the thigh. Um, um, but he still held onto the mic, calling for skid mounts and so forth. Um, and then at that time, I just took, took cover. Me and my company, Gunny, were hauling tail off the bridge. So as we were hauling tail off the bridge, mortar rounds were kept on uh, marking uh, our footing. Uh, one of the mortar rounds hit behind us, and uh, that's where the blast kind of like hit me a little bit, got peppered, and the fall is what, what hurt me. So over in um, Iraq, the bridges, they have concrete culvert bridges, and they have big pipes that hang out for discharge of, uh, of waste. So as I'm coming, being blasted over the bridge, I remembered my training <laughs> where you keep your heels together you know, and you clench your weapon. So as I'm in the air coming down, I remember hitting the back of that uh, concrete culvert mm. and um, my leg hit that pipe, broke my ankle and so forth, and had a little TBI, shoulder issues and so forth. So I remember waking up uh, and uh, just numb, uh, you know, like a big TV news channel, just, you know, just vibrating clouds of this fuzz. It was, it was rattled me pretty good. You know, but, you know, I had some good Marines, you know, they pulled me out of the culvert, you know, they put me in the attack vehicle and and we just kind of like uh, um, fought and, 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 and fought the enemy, suppressed the enemy. Of course, I was on my back in the, in the back of a, a mounted 50 cal vehicle Hummer. And I had, had I remember had hot brass flying all over me and a young Marine was saying, Sergeant, sorry, first Sergeant, sorry, first Sergeant, <laughs> as that brass was hitting me. But um you know, the funny, you know, you look, so when you're, when you're in situations like that, and there was many of them, you know, I, I look at the, the funny aspect of, of, of what transpired, you know, like for instance, the mortar rounds were hitting behind us and I'm running with our company gunny and we're looking at each other and, and we're looking to jump over uh, the corner of that bridge. And he got to a, a safer aspect of the bridge than I did. But I remember the mortar rounds hitting and it remember popped him in a tail and he, mm. Alabama guy, you know, and all you hear was, ew, I'm hit, you know. So so I'm kind of like giggling in a way as I'm hauling tail, you know, looking at the funny aspect of this. But, sure. uh, but, but you know, I, I look at the fun part, not the fun. There's no fun about combat whatsoever. But but just to, to get you through the reconciliation of what transpired and to, to help suppress, unfortunately, because the mission goes on. Uh, to understand it and, and try to make fun of it a little bit. And, and, you know, that's just one combat story of many that we all have been through, you know, but that, my, my particular thing was, it was um, the, the fall got me, you know, traumatic brain injury, you know, um, peppered spray on, on mortar around a couple broken bones, you know, uh, in the leg area and so forth. Slow how long did it take you? How long did it take you to recover? I'm sure they got you out of, you got out of the comments. Well, yeah. actually, actually by the time they got me to our, our fob, which was St. Michael's, which is an old, chicken factory it was probably about uh seven hours later by the time they, they they got me back to the fob because we couldn't we couldn't you know we were fighting and suppressing fighting and suppressing waiting for common engineers they finally showed up and they're they're helping us suppress and, and, and taking care of the enemy and um then then they we started moving south towards saint michael and i just remember laying on my back and i'm seeing a luminous 
pop-ups going up, left side, right side. I'm yelling to the uh, to our gunner as I listen. I says uh, they're marking our target, they're marking our area because they're you know they've got the pop-ups left and to right of our vehicle, and we're taking more and more around. So I just remember pushing through that, and then we hit our fob, and um, we were you know we're in the SUNY Triangle by the way, so it's it's a pretty and this is in 2004 in April, so it's it's pretty uh, arduous in terms of fighting uh, friend and foe. And um, by the time I got to the base, of course, you hit your medical uh, staff right there, and they they do your you know priority routine or urgent care for you. And um, I, they couldn't move me to to Baghdad for 31st cash at the time to uh, to get me out of there. So um, I think it was um, a good day and a half, two days by the time they put me in, a, in, a, in an unarmored vehicle at the time we had, we had no unarmored vehicle. Um, and they moved me up North with a, with a convoy, a security team and, and got me to the hospital. And uh, of course I spent some time there and he, he, here's the thing though. So, so we were taking wounded pretty good. The Marines were, and of course the army and the national guard um, and the hospital, which was a Baghdad hospital, by the way, they're not very good, but, you know, the, the military took that hospital over, but they would put me in a triage tent. So I'm in this tent and believe it or not, I'm, I'm, I, I still got my nine millimeter, by the way, I still had that, uh, the, you know, held it with my left hand is my right side was kind of screwed up. And I remember in a tent, we had wounded enemy that were in that tent. We had uh, wounded Navy SEALs that were in that tent. We had a collage of wounded individuals. And I had this one Navy officer, and he was coherent and everything. And I made friends. We sat, he slept in a cot right next to me. He asked me how I got my nine millimeter in. I said, "Well, it's going to stay with me until I'm gone." You know, infantry first start. I'm not letting go of my my weapon. Uh, but he helped me. You know, he got me food and, and you know got me to to see the doctor again and so forth. But he was there because he had a injury to an ear. I think it was probably a, a mortar round that blew his drum out. This year, but we became friends, and and I remember two o'clock in the morning, about ten days after there, I'm getting a, a I'm being pulled out of my rack, and they're loading me up, in a, in a, in a, I think it was a Cobra or something, some type of aircraft the Air Force had, Army had, and they just moved me out of there to Al Assad at the time. So here I am in Al Assad. I get there, and I remember getting there, and and. Um, That's tough, sir. It's okay. So I'm, I'm in this makeshift hospital on the air, air, air base of Al-Assad. You know, and, and my injuries are not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a priority, not an urgent. And uh, I get into this tent, and it's a medical tent. You know, they got individuals that are amputees, burn unit individuals there, and we're just waiting for that next life flight that brings to Germany. So I just remember going in there, and and you know, I, I think they gave me something. I had an IV, and, and next you know, I'm I'm passed out. So I wake up. I'm not sure how long I was passed out for or sleeping for, but I wake up and doctors and nurses are running around putting flat jackets on us, armored jackets on us as we're laying down because we're taking mortar rounds in Al-Assad airbase. Boom, boom, boom. And the tent next to us took a direct hit 
Mm. And I remember one of the docs came in and says, they just took out one of our surgical tents. Wow. So I remember this. And and I think what, what's making me emotional right now is that there was a young Spec 4 Army, Spec 4 engineer, I think Spec 4 is, right next to me is a AA amputee African-American. And I just can't get this part out of my mind. He goes, I let my men down. You know, I, I let everybody down. And I told him, I told me, I said, you did, you did your job. Excuse me, Montel. It's okay. This is painful for me because no, I, never I, never, shared, no. I never shared this with anyone. No, thank you so and, much. And, 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 you know, there's, there's clips of operations and my service that, that flashed back to me. And this is one of them because that young man, probably about 21 years old, 20 years old, was worried about his men. And he's sitting there with no legs, blowing the crap, you know. And, and I'm sitting there, I says, you, you did nothing wrong. You served your country. You're a freaking hero. I'm proud of you. And I reach over. And, <laughs> and I just wanted to touch him because, I don't know, I just wanted to touch him. So anyway, Anyway, the doctors came back in and so forth, and, and um, they're giving us some more juice or whatever the heck it was. And I remember waking up, I don't know, much later, I guess. And um, and the doctors, there's a, they're, they're taking pictures of him and his purple heart, you know, the, the same wounded warrior next to me. And they're taking pictures as if he's a static display. And that pissed me the hell off, mm. you know, as if they're benefit from this individual being wounded. I know they're not in, in terms of that, but you know, these are civilian doctors that get activated. I don't know what the what it was, but they're taking pictures of this individual holding his purple heart while he's got bells and whistles coming in and out of him and he's and he's trying to survive. And that pissed me off. So I got really upset. And excuse my language. And I, I was like, I was like, he's not a frigging stack display. Get, you know, I'm just going off. And and next year I know they're juicing me up with something else. And you know, and, and I remember waking up to being carried to, I don't know if it was a C5, C131. It was a big bird. And um, and then they put us on these, you walk into this. Well, I didn't walk in. They carried us into it. And then they, the way they do the, the gurneys is they have them in four layers, you know, down the center, you know, mm -hmm. and up on the sides. And they have nurses and doctors running up and down the aircraft. And... I remember the way they uh, set, put you in the the gurneys is is routine, priority, and urgent. And I'm I'm a I'm not a, a, a I'm not a priority. I think I'm a priority, but I'm not a urgent. So they put me kind of like in the middle, and and you're like this for hours. And you know, there's no going to bathrooms, no getting up. You know, one of those things. And I just remember I I needed to go to the bathroom. I didn't want the catheter in me and. And the nurses are stepping on and dealing with, you know, the priority and urgent and so forth. And, and that was something else to to go through the medevac system, understanding and, and the sacrifice and hard work that the doctors and nurses are doing. But not only that, but looking at the the, the, the resiliency of these wounded warriors that, that are fighting for their lives on this bird so they can get to walk Bethesda, not walk Bethesda, but Germany at the time. So, uh, you know, going through that process and understanding that, 
you know, um, you know, it sticks with you. You know, so you have the carnage, and then you have the uh, the anxiety and the mentality of, of muscle memory in combat. And mm-hmm. then when you get complacent and relaxed at some point, um, and I wasn't excited about going home, believe it or not. I was an infantry first sergeant. I was worried about my 179 Marines and sailors that I had that, that you know, they're going to be without a first sergeant, which I'm like, Dad, so so that's on my mind. Mm-hmm. And, and, and hearing the agony of the wounded warriors. And, of course, you know, I'm pointing to the nurses and doctors running up and down the aircraft. That individual is screaming, and, you know, and, of course, they shut me up. And next thing I'm waking up where I'm being offloaded on that from that aircraft. And, of course, you know, uh, you get your flag officers and individuals that are, you know, making you feel welcomed home and so forth. And as soon as you get to the hospital, you're, you're going right to the ER, you know, and, and they're patching you up for the next step, you know, and routine, priority, urgent. That's what they look at. Who's routine here? Who's priority here? Who's urgent here? Urgent goes first. You know, so I... I and then um, I remember going to my hospital room and being seen by the doctor and so forth. And I was there for a good probably 15 to 20 days before I went to Walter Reed Bethesda. And then from there, I was there for a little while. And, you know, they patch up as you go. And I go back to Campus U, North Carolina, you know. Um, but I think what hurt me in terms of my PTSD that I dealt with is those clips of the emotional things that I witnessed not only um, in my moving from combat, being wounded, to back to CONUS, but also in combat. You know, when you're walking through a grove that's on fire and being shot at, and you have a young Marine that looks at you and he throws his weapon down, he says, first sergeant, I'm scared. You know, you take the weapon, you put it in his chest, you say, I got the same fear you do. We're going to do this. You know, and, and he picks that rifle up and he sees that you have the same fear. He has that confidence and you help him with that resiliency and you get through that conflict. You get through that firefight. But those little things that that it's not about shooting around and hitting your target. It's about those emotional relationship things that you all come together as service members going through a mission, accomplishing a mission, you know, from commanding officer to a company commander, you know, to an executive officer, the squad leaders, those emotional things and the ties that ties us together is understanding, knowing that we're feeling the same thing that you're feeling. So I think my PTSE ranges from those little relationships that I had with my seniors, my juniors, my peers, funny situations, sad situations. You know, you get wounded, you get your, you know, you get your KIAs, unfortunately, going through their um, inventory, writing a letter home to their mom at two in the morning in the middle of the desert, you know, wondering how fast that letter is going to get to them, uh, inventory of the personal gear, you know, and then going back out there, um, touching every uh, service member, every wounded warrior, not every wounded warrior, but every Marine and so it's getting ready to go out on patrol. That's one thing I did was I would go out there and we do a pack count, you know, and the pack count would be like, okay, how many packs, how many Marines are going, make sure they got their combat loaded. And I make sure I touched them. I wanted to touch all of them because I'm not too sure if they were going to come back. And, and they knew that as well, but we don't talk about it. I want to put my hand on the shoulder. Hey, brother, see you after this patrol. And I go back and I would take, I would take shifts in the middle of the night. Um, and I remember Montel, I used to listen to BBC. Um, also, um, hanging out the tack and, and listen to the patrols because my Marines out there in patrols. And I remember hearing, you know, three killed, three killed Americans, 
Right. You know, they killed Americans. This is when the number was three. And I remember spending many nights taking watches, let the young Marines sleep. And I remember hearing 15, mm. 18, 49, 89. And I'm hearing this throughout the days. And the casualties are going up. And my boys are outside the wire in the Sunni Triangle. You know? And, and I'm like, wow. And it's make it's 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 want me to be a little bit closer to my Marines, you know. So I'd wake up in the middle of the night before they go on patrol. I make sure that I, you know I'm with their the company commander and and we're touching packs and and we're we're, we're pounding them on the chest, you know. And, and we go back and observe their patrols and and, and and so forth and so forth. So I look back at all those things, you know, and I remember those as if it was yesterday. And but looking back, but looking back, Joe, at all of those things, man. I mean, you you. Recover. How long did it take you to recover from your injuries? Um, I would have to say probably about 18 months fully. And during that 18 month period of time, I know that they gave you the opportunity to get out. I mean, you know, you could have stepped out and said, my injuries are enough. I can't. My ankle hurts too bad. You know, the pain in my back's too bad. The PTSD is too bad. They would have retired you, but you decided to stay on active duty, right? That's correct. And I mean, what was what was the job that you had when you actually recovered? All right. So um, when I when I was wounded, actually, um, and I was able to um, stand up or and, and be movable, which they moved me to Second uh, Marine Division headquarters, actually. And they had a casualty center that they were standing up. And I was part of that casualty center. So before they created the Wounded Warrior Regiment or Wounded Warrior Battalions, uh, or even the, the, the thought of having a wound warrior project, um, you know, they had the casualty center. And what they were doing is they were looking at how they did it back in Vietnam. Because Vietnam did it right, or we learned from Vietnam. And they stood up a casualty center. And then we came up with the idea of um, creating uh, somewhat of a wound warrior battalions where individuals that would um, be able to uh, transition out of the military, we will send them to their home area where they have family support and then it would be transitioned from there, or they can go to a battalion, not their battalion that's forward, but we would create a battalion east and west for just wounded warriors, ill and injured, um, that either can um, get healthy and get back to full duty or transition out. Um, so I did that for a little while, and then I would knock on the uh, Second Marine Division um, Sergeant Major, Sergeant Major Hensworth at the time, he's a great individual, and he was on his way over to Iraq for a full year. And um, I remember going up there every day. He goes, you're not on full duty yet. You need to run a PFD. Oh, well, I went out and ran a PFD. <laughs> so, and, you know, while I was on light duty, but I ran a PFD and I, and I, and I um, spoke to my docs. I want to get back on full duty. And from there, they, I was at 2-2. Um, they sent me the 1st Battalion, 8th Marines, you know, the Beirut Battalion. And um, put me with a weapons company, Infantry First Sergeant again. So, uh, and next you know, we're, we're picking up new drops new young Marines at an SOI training them and we're going to get ready to go back over in combat. So, uh, and that's what transpired. So I, I knocked on that door, kept on bothering the heck out of them. I wanted back, um, back with the young Marines. I didn't want to be up there with the brass and counting numbers. So I went to first battalion, eighth Marines. We trained and, and, uh, we deployed again. And, uh, and then from there, um, combat operations again, Haditha dam, 24th Mew, um, um, Lebanon, uh, uh, Condoleezza Wright, uh, evacuating her from uh, from the, from uh, uh, Lebanon at the time, and, and doing uh, combat uh, combat 
operations in Haditha Dam and, and south of, um, of uh, Iraq again and so forth. So, and then of course, after that, um, I got selected as Sergeant Major. And of course I was a wounded warrior at the time, you know, Purple Heart recipient. And I felt that uh, uh, I'd be best suited for the Wounded Warrior Regiment up there at Headquarters Marine Corps, uh, tracking and handling all the non-medical case management of wounded, ill and injured. And I think what helped me with that job, um, Montel, was I went through the medevac process. I was mm -hmm. injured. I've seen um, the carnage of war. First and, and I'll tell you what, the hardest part of that job was visiting those VA hospitals. You know, when, one week I'm in Tampa, I'm looking, I'm at a polytrauma, I'm up in Missouri, I'm up in Texas at a burn unit, you know, and, and I'm all over the place. I was probably uh, gone probably about 20, 28 days out of a month. And I'd done that for a couple of years or so. And then you would see that carnage in a hospital and it would break your heart. You know, you got an 18-year-old double-leg amputee, you know, an 18-year-old wife with a six-month-old child, you know, and then you got your mother and father right there. You know, see that carnage, you know, and you know, looking at the resiliency of these young individuals saying, hey, Sergeant Major, I want to be back with my Marines, you know, you know, give me some legs. I want to go back. You know, it just, it just put a lot of weight on your heart. Right. Um, so I've, I've done that for a little while. And um, I, I met, and, and here's the thing. I made sure that I understood what our um, non-medical case managers were doing. I became a recovery care coordinator. I didn't become one, but I went through the training. Uh, traumatic brain injury, post-traumatic stress. I just studied up on all that. You know, I got uh, my training and certificates through the Military Health Systems Network so I can understand our counselors and a non-medical case management uh, platform that we were delivering. So I wanted to know what the training was about uh, on non-medical case management so I can better suit and better take care of these service members. And you stayed in for 27 years, and then you took on the position as the executive director of Disabled Veterans National Foundation. What pointed you in that direction? Well, you know, um, I, I, I used to guest speak throughout the United States, um, statesman stuff in terms of uh, wounded warriors and and trying to tie um, nonprofit organizations that are serving veterans to, to serve our transitional service members. Um, and um, I, I, probably was, I think I was speaking at a VFW convention in um, Arizona or maybe Vegas at the time. But I remember receiving a phone call uh, after I dropped my retirement papers 14 months out. And I didn't know who they were, but it was the president, Priscilla, at the Disabled Veterans National Foundation, who was wondering if I would be interested to um, take over the organization. So I did my research on the organization, and they were under a lot of scrutiny. Um, you know, they were lacking in uh, fiduciary responsibilities and, and oversight and, and proper management. And I was like, wow, I'm in. <laughs> I said, I don't want to go into an organization as a sergeant major that's hitting home runs. I want to go in somewhere where I can do some hard work. I want to erect it and so forth. And I took that organization over and um, you know, we changed out board of directors. Uh, we changed out staff. We created new programs, new platforms, you know, call to action, joint cost allocation. You name it, we've done it. And we're in a better position now to serve our veterans nationally. And uh, that's what I've been doing. And the organization was founded before. How, how long had the organization been in, in existence? And what was its mission before you got involved? Well, the organization was founded in, in 2007 by uh, you know, five founding ladies that were part of the Veterans Administration in terms of uh, serving their communities throughout the United States. They just came together, had a great idea, um, and um, their idea and their mission um, was uh, serving uh, disabled and critically wounded, uh, ill, injured service members transitioning out of the military. So I, I kept that same mission, and what I did was I created profound platforms can actually serve them better strategically. And we do that by, um, by capacity building grant program, where we fund other nonprofits that you're familiar of. Our health and comfort, where we fund uh, 
um, uh, disabled at risk veterans at homeless shelters and veteran standouts nationally. And then I do my special initiative, which is a CEO and staff thing where I pick something special uh, that, that can serve our veterans. Uh, let it be working with military makeover or operation yes. uh, career or 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 uh, funding another nonprofit uh, pause for uh, for life and so forth. And then, of course, um, we just built a national job board. And I got that idea actually from one of your talks, you know, one of your shows that you do. Your, I think it's Operation Career you do. Yes. Uh, I, was, I was watching your show one when I think it was Sunday morning or early morning. And, and I'm like, wow, I says, why can't we build a platform that connect the veteran to leading employers? Because that's what you're doing, actually. You're actually yes. bringing those leading employers on and, and, and you're highlighting the good that they're doing in the community. I was like, well, you know, I'm going to create a national job board. And then when I get them doing it, I'm going to tell Montel where I got the idea and I'm going to tell him about it. So right now we have a national job board. You know, it's uh, jobs.dvnf.org, or you can go to www.dvnf.org, hit National Job Board. You'll see Montel Williams there. You'll see uh, Elevator Pitch. We have over 10,000 jobs right now. We have over 85 organizations that have actually registered to post your jobs online. And did you know, Montel, it costs a lot of money to post just one job for 30 days uh, on any website. And I'm not going to highlight what those websites are out there. Well, with DVNF, it's free. It's always going to be free because it serves the veterans that fought for this country to keep it free. And our donors love this website. Our donors love this job board because it's free. Any organization, it's designed and is implemented uh, to support uh, any veteran in need, but it's open to the public. Anyone can go on this job, a job board and look for a job and just use those same positive attributes and platform that we created for those uh, veterans. Uh, that are looking for a job. They're great tools, even if you're not a veteran. You know, so we highlight it for veterans, but it's open to the public. And any organization can register and post up to a thousand jobs that they want free. Always be free. And we will highlight their company as well. We'll highlight them on our page and all our social media. And if you go to our website, you'll see that. You'll see some highlights on the bottom. It's just a wonderful platform. Wonderful. Several special features, right? I mean, not just that you know, can post them for free, but you've got some other very special features, right? Oh, definitely. We have many, many. We have an elevator pitch. What 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 job board do you have where you can actually do a 30 second elevator pitch and upload it? And, and companies that actually registered uh, for the job board can actually view a database of elevator pitches. So let's go to New York. You know, I'm registered to, to post jobs. OK, I have a company in New York. Uh, let it be Albany, New York, Seneca, New York, uh, you know, the city of New York, or even Rochester. And you can just say, OK, what's available next? You know, these videos pop up. You know, okay, we have Amelia Keller right here. Let's check it out. You know, and she has that 30-second pitch, and that may be enticing. You know, it's so hard right now to get someone to an interview. So the idea was, let's do an elevator pitch. And I appreciate the help on that as well there. Uh, so he did very well. And by the way, your speech was under 30 seconds as well. <laughs> <laughs> Complete disclosure. Make sure everybody knows that. And I really just appreciate the opportunity to work with you to do this, Joe. I'm telling you. Um, how, how successful has it been? I mean, how's it, give out the website one more time so people know where to go. Well, it's uh, www.jobs.dnf.org. Uh, that's That'll bring you directly to the job board. Or you can go to www.dnf.org and go to the National Job Board um, uh, tab that we have on the top of the website. And we have over 10,000 jobs listed right now. And uh, we have over... Um, 80, 85, close to 90 companies that actually registered 
to post your jobs on our website. We have a ticker with our call to action, talks about some of the highlights of the website. Uh, we have calls to marketing for the back end. If someone wants to donate to keep the website going, they can, but I'm not promoting uh, the donate to DVNF. I've never promoted let's donate to DVNF. I want to talk about the services and the impact that our programs have to offer. And then, then if the donor likes what we're doing, they see the impact of what our programs are doing, please donate and help. If you don't, I understand. So I'm not going to be that nonprofit organization that's going to have a horrific picture of a wounded warrior, you know, with a donate button. I'm not I can, but we're not that type of organization. We want to provide the services. We want our services to be seen by impact. Uh, we're a national organization. We want to be judged by the impact of what our programs are doing. And if, and, and if, and if um, you know, viewers like or our donors like or future donors like what we have to offer and how we're serving veterans, then please support us. And that just keeps us going. And we have a lot of donors that believe in us. Give them an idea of some of the other services you provide. You not only have this job board, but you have plenty of other services. Oh, we do. Uh, we have an online resource center where you can go to uh, uh, www.dmf.org and, and hit one of our tabs and, and, and circle under that. And then you can look for our resources. Uh, by the way, if someone wants Joe Van Fonda, you know, that, that, that's been through combat, wounded warrior, dealing with post-traumatic stress, suicide prevention awareness is very dear to me. I will go anywhere in the United States free of charge. Uh, I don't ask for money. I will go to a high school, go to a college. I will go to a fire station, first responders. You name it, I'll go. And I'll give you a good hour brief on suicide prevention awareness and how it affects how it affects an everyday individual, not just a military individual, everyday. Post-traumatic stress is real. You know, PTSD is happening out there. You know, in this COVID and, and, and the way the media is creating narrative is just creating hysteria. And it's making things even worse. Imagine a, a veteran with post-traumatic stress and dealing with COVID. And then the landscape or economy is changing as well. You know, and our politicians right now are just creating their own narrative for their own good. You know, it's just it's just crazy right now. So, but I would go anywhere throughout the United States. So we have a PTSD platform as well, where you'll be able to actually go and you can actually hit an era of combat or like for instance, Vietnam, you can actually sit and listen to testimonies of other wounded warriors that have been through combat and have been through conflicts and they can talk about their experience with PTSD or suicide and how they work through it. So it's very informative, very informational. And, and the job is to provide those resources. Let's become a tool. You know, is there a nonprofit out there that can become a tool? I, I think there is. There's many out there. And I want DVNF to become a tool to provide those resources and help help uh, veterans that are wounded, disabled, and at risk, either direct or by indirect. And by indirect is very simple. You know, I, I may hey, say, call you up, hey, Montel, let's create a specialist for 2021, all right? DVNF's going to pledge $100,000. What can we do with it? That's called a special initiative. Let's that's called direct. You know, let's let's find a direct cause and let's make it work right there. And then you have your indirect, where it takes a little bit to cultivate, you know, that where you fund other nonprofits. Then you're gonna rely on them to go beat the ground, you know, and provide those uh, uh those programs and services. So we well, do I, will test, I will testify to you know uh what DVNF has done already. I mean, you know, you, you worked quite closely with uh Military Makeover, which is a show that I do to help provide, you know, some very, very needy veterans, you know, with an, uh, not, not, a, not a handout, but just a, a 
make over their home from the ground up to give them that forever home, something that they can be proud of and 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 work on their resilience at. And so I got to thank you so much for being a part of that show and also helping like you did with, uh, you know, military makeover operation career and, you know, them forming your own job board. I mean, it, the list goes on and on and on and on and on for what you guys are doing. And so I'm making sure that all my viewers who are tuned in to Rethinking, though, that the DVNF is no joke, my friends. And so I want to make sure that you dig deep, especially right now in the holiday season. I mean, you know, if you got extra bucks, you know, let's send them their way. Help them continue to service those who have done so much to serve us. Um, Joe, what's coming up? What's next? What's going to happen over the next year? 2022 is right around the corner, my brother. Well, you know, uh, um, I'm getting ready uh, to strategize with some friends in terms of what my special initiative is going to be for um 2022 so i'm excited uh, about some ideas um our, our you know our goal right now is to serve more veterans and and here's a struggle right now montel the landscape right now is a little bit jittery as you know with logistics and so forth and getting truckings and you know i'm competing against big box stores right now to get my health and comfort shipments out um you know uh, so uh you know we're, we are taking our health and comfort we're expanding it Right now, so we're going to take advantage of the slowness right now in terms of logistics, and the concentration is building out our warehouse for our health and comfort. Um, so we want to expand it. So instead of doing one or two shipments a month, we're going to do up to three to five if we can. So our goal is to get there. So we're going to take take the opportunity why we have a low landscape in terms of logistics because it's hard to get trucking right now to to build out our warehouse and our in kind gift donations that we're receiving right now for the holidays. Um, we, we do, we just had a grab and go, um, a few weeks ago, uh, in, uh, Baltimore, Maryland, by the way, we served over 200,000, I mean, actually 200,000, we served over 200 veterans that are at risk that are homeless. Um, and we gave them health and comfort kits. Uh, you can go to www.dnf.org and you can look under our health and comfort. You can see what those kits are made of $50 gift card. We gave them groceries as well. And um, it just breaks your heart, but at the same time, it, it fills your heart up as well because you're you're serving veterans. Right now, um, our concern right now is the cold weather months on on the uh, the East Coast. Uh, so we're hoping to get some socks, uh, some gloves, some beanies, some coat drives. So I think I our communication team and program team is going to be working on some initiatives to to pull in some in kind gift donations, which are actually new. We don't take used stuff. We don't want to give away used stuff. Um, so we're working on a few initiatives as we speak. Cool. I'll help you with those if you want. You know, let me know if you mean me, me do a shout out for you. I will. Um, I, I, I got to tell you, you guys have you have been doing and doing and doing, my brother. You know, I mean, we're we're almost out of time, but you know, if there was a message you wanted to send out to those veterans out there right now who, you know, don't think anybody's got their back. What would you say? Well, well, you heard my testimony. Yes. You walk the walk, my brother. Absolutely. I care. I do. I really care. My staff cares. They really do. I, I, I got these great staff members. And, you know, I'm an old sergeant major, and I come out of the Marine Corps. You know, I'm ready. You know, I'm working 12 to 14-hour days. <laughs> I'm paying them to work eight, you know, but I'm asking them to stay to 12. You know, and, and, and for them to put up with me and to learn my battle rhythm, and to understand my leadership and follow me, that means the world to me, my staff does. You know, so without the staff, you know, DVNF wouldn't exist. Of course, without the donors, we wouldn't exist as well. So it's it's coupled. You know, they got a great board of directors. You know, they don't micromanage me at all. You know, my board of directors, Scott, 
you know, he's he's a, a naval cadet guy. You've met him. He speaks highly of the of the academy. You know, he gives me the right uh, initiative at the right time. He gives he pulls my reins back at the right time. You know, so I'm the gas. He's the brake. You know, and I got the Benny Bashan. I got Greg. I got Tish. I got I got Barry. I got all these great board members that they, they're there if I need them, and they are. You know, but they also give me the left and right lateral limits to create strategy and to expand the service and program. So I want to thank the board of directors as well. You know, so I have the staff, I have the board, and I have the donors. Without those three pillars, I can't serve the veteran in need. But I'll tell you what, for the veterans are out there, you know, there's resources out there. We have more nonprofits you can shake a stick at. You know, and, and the soundbite that, you know, that that nonprofits use is, why do you exist? Well, we want to fill the gap. <laughs> it's always about the gap. And there's always a gap. And I'll tell you this, the Veterans Administration is trying. They've been trying. But they're broken, and 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 I'm not sure how they can fix. You know, the, the line is long. You know, when you're in the military, you know, you get seen instant obedience to orders. You get seen quick. You know, you're a product. They want you back out on the battlefield. But when you're a veteran, the line gets longer. You're you're waiting in line, and just just continue to wait in line. Uh, reach out to DVNF at www.dvnf.org. You know, look at our national job board. I'm easy to find. You can communicate with me through my communications email. You can see on our website. I answer all the mail. Um, uh, I don't stray away from phone calls. I don't stray away from hard questions. How do you raise the money? Uh, I talk about direct mail. I talk about the percentages, you know, but it's all about the impact. How many veterans can you serve with the programs you provide? You know, but for the veterans out there that are wounded, ill, and injured, or struggling, and you're at that dark place, I've been there with your brother, sister. You know, we care about you. We love you. And, and I tell you what, just, just keep on fighting because we're fighting with you. All right. If I can help you in any way, please reach out to DVNF. And uh, if I can't help you, uh, God bless you. I can promise you I can provide the right resource for you. And that I will testify to. I will back you up with that 100%. DVNF is here doing what they need to do to help you as much as possible. So if you're a veteran, make sure you reach out to them. Check out their resources and see what they have available for you. Frank, uh, Frank, Joe, I can't thank you enough, my brother, for being here today with us. Thank you for helping to move a couple of initiatives forward that I've talked to you about. Um, and, um, you know, I look forward to working with you in 2022, seeing if we can do as much as we can to stop just saying thank you for your service, but doing something about it. Now, you're absolutely right there, brother. Montel, thank you for what you're doing. And I like what you're doing out there within the community. You're pulling these uh, veteran supporters into a team. Uh, I'm glad to be part of your team. Uh, and um, I, I can't wait to do more things with you and your family and so forth in the near future. So thank you again. Thanks for having us. Disabled Veterans National Foundation, www.dvnf.org. Hit our national job board. You'll be impressed. It's free. It's always going to be free. Absolutely. And thank you for tuning in to this edition of Free Thinking with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Free Thinking with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback, so please send us your comments.